really good to see you today. Uh, just to wonder if you turn to somebody near you and ask them, if you have one, what is your favorite Bible story? And just tell them, is that okay while I get myself set up? Do you have a favorite Bible story? You don't have to have one. Okay, any starters for 10? Whose favorite, favorite Bible stories? Esther, great story. Yes, Esther. Jonah, what a guy. What a guy. Grumpy. Brilliant. Anyone else? Sorry? The Good Samaritan. One of Jesus' greatest stories. Yes. Any others? Sorry, I missed. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Yeah, build the wall. The Prodigal Son. That's top story. Yeah. Very good. Well, apparently, I gather this story about... Uh, a paralyzed man being lowered through the roof is Bob's favorite story, is that right? I think you said that the other day. And Bob tells me that this is also the Queen's favorite story. Um, and, uh, you know, Bob and the Queen, they're like this. So, um, in more, so, so uh, I love the fact that the Queen and Bob love a story where Jesus commends criminal damage to a roof. There's something about that which is really exciting. So... Um, as Joe said, we, we, or she mentioned, we were in London. We did go and see a play in London, which is called Straight Line Crazy, starring the great Ray Fiennes. And um, it's a great joy to see him act in person. And Straight Line Crazy is the story of Robert Moses, who is uh, a person between the 1920s and the 1960s. He's the guy who really planned New York, how it looks. So you can, if you've been to New York, you can see why the, plane's called, the play is called Straight Line Crazy. And he built the roads, the bridges, the parks, the pools, and the routes to the beaches and that, so that the, so that the people of New York could get to their leisure places, particularly beaches and pools and that kind of thing. So he was the construction coordinator during that time. And you see the trajectory of his life from the 1920s to the 1960s, where early on he has extraordinary ability to overcome obstacles, planning obstacles, finance obstacles, political obstacles. Some of his methods are good, some of his methods are a bit more wheeler-dealer, and some are really not that great at all. But he has an extraordinary ability to do that and to charm and woo people. And then you see him a little bit later on where he's got frankly older and grumpier and more intransigent and later on his vision has become an obsession if you like and his drive has become bullying and uh, his staff start to rebel against him and the people of New York start to rebel against him and hold all, all kinds of protests against him and so he could no longer overcome the planning obstacles that uh, to create the New York that he had the vision for because he was really starting to be unable to overcome the obstacles in himself. The obstacles in himself became much more obvious. Now, it was a, it was a very gripping play. It was uh, uh, really <laughs> extraordinary that they could make a gripping play out of urban planning, but there you are. And, um, but, but we're going to be talking about obstacles, obstacles in particular to getting to Jesus and getting to the resources of heaven. Just as we were seeing, let heaven come. Uh, this is a story where some people overcome a number of obstacles in order to get to where Jesus is and in order to experience the power of transformation. Great to hear the stories of transformation from Albania, uh, hearing lives totally transformed. And that's what happens when 
Jesus and his resources and his power gets together with uh, people who really need change and really need transformation. And this story is about these two people, uh, these two, um, this group of people getting to Jesus so that change can come about. And they're overcoming external obstacles primarily because they don't have the internal obstacles. Uh, other people have those, and we'll see that in a moment. But because their internal posture, if you like, was good, the way that they, their attitude, the way they approached their faith was really good, they were able to overcome obstacles, and they attracted the grace and the power of God. So just to remind you of the story, so Jesus is teaching. He's in a house. There is a massive crowd all around him. And the great and the good are all there. So all the Pharisees, all the scribes, and it says they've come from all the villages all around, and they've come from the big city, the capital. They've come from Jerusalem. So they're all sitting around. There is a big crush in the house, and Jesus is in the middle of it. And Luke makes this very enigmatic comment. He says, the power of the Lord was present to heal. It's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? I mean, is he thinking later, well, of course, because the man was healed, the power of the Lord was present to heal? Or did he see something there? Or what is he trying to communicate with this phrase, the power of the Lord was present to heal? Well, I'll come back to that in a moment. And what you've got then is a group of men, it says, uh, they have a friend who is paralyzed. He can't move. He can't walk. And they are attempting to carry him on his bed to Jesus, to get him to where he can be transformed. And uh, they can't, they get to the house, but they can't get into the house because the crowd, the mosh pit is so um, like dense, they can't make their way through. And even uh, sort of, uh, you know, saying, please let us through, there's a sick man here, it doesn't really seem to work. And so they decide to go on the roof. And they go on the roof, it's not their roof, but they decide to dig it up um, Mark in his gospel says that the, that the roof is made of turf, and that's because Mark is writing to Jewish people, and they were used to turf roofs. And Luke in his gospel, which we read now, he, he says they rip off tiles because he's talking to Gentiles, and Gentiles tended to have tile roofs. So he really wanted to uh, make the point that they make a lot of damage. They make a big hole in the roof, and they lower this man down on, their bed, on his bed, and uh, Jesus then commends them. He, he, he looks at the crowd and he says, uh, he, I, I absolutely love your faith. And then he looks at the man and says something very surprising and something that divides the room. He says, your sins are forgiven. Man, your sins are forgiven. So he looks deeper into the man's life and he forgives the man's sins. And the great and the good are, uh, are sitting around and they know that only God can forgive sins. And so they're looking at Jesus, they're reckoning that he is not God. And so they are thinking in their minds, this is blasphemy. And Jesus can either see it on their faces or he, it's revealed to him by the Spirit. And he says to them, uh, I know what you're thinking, I know you're thinking this is blasphemy. But which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, which do you think is easier to say? That's not rhetorical. Yeah? I think if you say your sins are forgiven, people, uh, there's not a physical manifestation of that particularly. You can't absolutely decide that's actually there. But if you say rise, take up your bed and walk, and the person doesn't do it, then then you're going to look a bit like a lemon. So, 
Which is easier, he says, to say your sins are forgiven or to um, say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But just so you know that the Son of Man, i.e. me, says Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, the more difficult thing, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man does so, and there's amazement all around. So it really is, it's a really good story, Bob. Thank you for uh, reminding us of this. And, uh, and it is an extraordinary story which helps us in our own lives to overcome obstacles to uh, getting close to Jesus and experiencing his power and his trans- transformation. So just to remind us of the setup, you've got Jesus, you've got the great and the good, and you've got the power of the Lord. Let's imagine, you've got Jesus here, he's got the crowd all around him, the house is there, that's the container, and the great and the good are there, and the power of the Lord present to heal over here. And then over here, you've got the paralyzed man and his friends. And the objective of the story is to get this person from here to there. And I think that's why Luke says the power of the Lord was present to heal, because the power of the Lord was present to heal over there. And they've got to get from here to there and overcome the obstacles in between. And so there are three um, obstacles between the paralyzed man over here with his friends and Jesus and the power of the Lord present to heal over there. There are three obstacles, and I want you to note them and also to think to yourself, is, is, am, I, am I in this kind of place? Is this an obstacle that, that faces me in getting closer to God and experiencing more of his transformative power? So the first obstacle that this man has is that he is paralyzed, that he cannot walk. He literally cannot physically get himself from here to there. And he needs his friends to carry him to Jesus. Now, I don't know whether his friends instigated it or whether he instigated it and says, please carry me, I gather Jesus is in the area. Uh, but they carry him and they pick him up and they, and they physically lift him and they start to take him towards Jesus. And just to note, they don't just pick him up and carry him anyway. They don't just carry him because he's their friend. They really carry him to Jesus. And the thing about Christian community where we need one another, we need our brothers and sisters, is that... A a Christian community doesn't just carry one another and bear one another's burdens. Good though that is, there is always a carrying towards Jesus because they know that in Jesus they can find their solution and their transformation. And sometimes in our Christian faith, we are stuck. I think uh, Joe might have prayed that earlier. Sometimes we are completely stuck and we cannot find a way forward closer to God. And... We need our brothers and sisters in that moment. That's why we have church. We have one another to pick us up, literally pick us up, and take us towards God. When I, when I became a Christian as a teenager, the first year of me being a Christian was really terrible. It was a really, really bad year. And everything I tried in following Jesus went really badly. And, and my behavior got a lot worse. And I seemed to be drifting far away from God. And by the end of about a year, I was really stuck. The reason was because I had never heard of the Holy Spirit. I'd heard of following Jesus. And I had the kindness of other Christians was that they both challenged me and they, and they encouraged me to um, 
be filled with the Spirit. So they challenged me because one person, I remember, said to me, what happened to the old John Soper that we used to like? And that was a bit of a shock. And then the other thing that happened was some people said to me, look, could we get around you and pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and, I, uh, you know, I was ignorant. And, um, but they prayed for me, and I was filled with the presence and the power of God, and everything changed from that moment. And they carried me to, to Jesus. They carried me to where the power of the Lord was present to heal. And at various points in our lives, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be unable to get any closer to God. For whatever reason, there are all kinds of possible reasons. Mine was ignorance, but it could be all sorts of things. And we're going to need one another. And we're going to also need to be bold to say, please help me. Please help me get closer to God. So are you stuck right now? Are you stuck? Because if you are, this community is the community that you need. You need a few people to get around you. And it's probably praying for you. It might be things, you know, much longer than that. It might be discussing intellectual questions with you that you're completely stuck on in terms of faith. It might be uh, something else completely. But if you are stuck, your brothers and sisters are your resource to pick you up on your bed and walk you towards Jesus. And the truth is also that your friends uh, who are not believers, they may well also be stuck. You know, they've got to a point where they're open to God, but they just do not know how to go further. And you are their brother and sister. You are their bed carrier in that moment. And I encourage you to be that. Even simply an invitation to Alpha can unstick people in that moment because it brings them into a context whereby they can get their questions answered. So that's the first obstacle. And the first obstacle is solved by your brothers and sisters and by humility in asking for help. The second obstacle is that they can't get through the crowd to Jesus. They make their way to the outside. The crowd is outside. The crowd is literally so dense that they can't get through. And so at that point, what they do is they make a decision. They make a really clear decision uh, to stop trying to go through the crowd, which is... Uh, which is going nowhere, but to get up onto the roof. They can't go through this obstacle, so they decide to go round the obstacle. And that's a good decision. There's a story by uh, Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian writer. He tells a short story of a man plowing a field. And uh, he's trying to plow the field in straight lines, and he's got horses pulling the plow, and, uh, and he's making some straight lines. And then he sees something that's sort of stuck in the middle of the field that he realizes he's going to have to pull out to, in order to create the straight lines carrying going. And when he gets nearer, he realizes what's stuck in the field is a demon. And there's this demon stuck up to his waist and, um, and kind of snarling and spitting at him and that kind of thing. He thinks, oh, I've got to pull this demon out in order to keep the line straight and keep going. And so he, gets, he goes up, and the uh, demon's not looking particularly friendly, and, uh, and he has a kind of lunge at him, and the demon beats him and spits at him and scratches him and bites him, uh, and he retreats, and he thinks, oh, well, that's no good. What, what am I going to do? And he's got his horses there. So he gets his horses, and what he's going to do is 
is take the ropes and lash round the demon in order, to, uh, in order to get the horses to pull the demon out for him. But as he approaches, he just cannot get these ropes around this demon who is extra- extraordinarily strong, rips the ropes apart, and any time he goes anywhere near him, he just gets beaten in the head, he gets scratched, he gets, um, he gets wounded and pummeled. And eventually, uh, the farmer gives up and he stands back and he thinks, what am I going to do about this? And then eventually he just decides, I'm just going to plow around. I don't care about the straight line, I'm just going to ignore it. And so long as I'm out of his reach, I'm just going to plow around and go around the edge. And that's exactly what he does. And so he has lovely straight lines apart from that bit where he goes around and he leaves the demon in place. And I think there are things like that that we face in our lives which are a bit like Paul's thorn in the flesh. I don't know if you know about that, where Paul writes about that he's got a thorn in the flesh. Now, he hasn't got a literal thorn in the flesh. He's got... It's a a metaphor probably for a person who's a real pain in the butt and won't go away, or it's it's an illness that he's got, that he's asked the Lord to take away, and he cannot, it won't leave him. And, uh, And... we can, always ha- we can often have obstacles in our lives that really kind of blot out. They kind of blot our whole lives. And we're thinking about uh, those things all the time. And they're really detrimental to our life with God. And the best thing to do with some of these things, and you need wisdom in the moment to make the decision, that you're, you're, you're going again and again. You're saying, Lord, can you get me through this? Can you take me? Uh, can you break it down? Can you take it away, Lord? And just as Paul said, um, he prayed for ages and ages, nothing seemed to happen. So eventually he just decides, I'm going to plow around it. He realizes that God's grace is enough for him, and he's going to go around it. And people, or ongoing sickness, can really distract because they fill our lives so much. And although you have to continue to deal with those things, um, it's, uh, it's important to park it as much as you can in order to go around and uh, continue to make some movement towards God. I guess we, uh, you know, we've had a number of things like this in our lives where, uh, I, you know, a few years ago some people uh, attacked us about various things and it just filled our lives immensely and hugely and it was very disruptive to our life with God. And eventually we just thought, there's nothing we can do about this. We're just going to park it, plow around it, carry on towards God, and leave it over there. So if you are in a situation that you are unable to resolve, you have asked the Lord again and again, Lord, please take this away. Please sort this person out. Please heal me, whatever it might be. It may just be the decision you need to make. Like these men with the crowd, you just say, okay, I'm going to put it over there. It's going to be a thing that's going to go on and on but I'm just going to go around it because I am going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. I'm not going to miss out on anything that he has got for me. And I'm not going to spend any more time trying to sort this particular thing out. So if you have an ongoing situation like that, that may be the best decision. It may be the best decision. Here's the last obstacle. The last obstacle is when they get up on the top of the house and there are stairs, in, in, in those kinds of houses in those days, there were stairs up the side, so it was easy to get up. The roof was flat, so you don't, you don't have the vision of, um, you know, someone on the bed who's paralyzed hanging onto a sloping roof. It's a flat roof, and, uh, and these people, 
make the decision that they're, even though it's not their house, it's not their roof, they're going to dig and they're going to get through this roof and they're going to lower this uh, man onto the surprised people below. And there are sometimes obstacles that you have in your face, obstacles between you and Jesus that you simply need to front up and go through. Instead of going round, you just need to go through them. And to do that with a lot of faith that the Holy Spirit is going to help you. In Mark's Gospel, when, they, when it says that they dug up the roof, it literally says in the original language that they unroofed the roof. It's a nice phrase, isn't it? They unroofed the roof. They just <laughs> took the roof away and they lowered the man down. And it may be that if you have a particular fear or dread that always gets between you and Jesus, that you, it's the time comes where you need to face the fear. You need to unfear the fear. Or if you have a particular addiction that always comes between you and Jesus, that it's time to unaddict the addiction, if you like, whatever it might be. Or if you have a particular um, intellectual... Uh, trouble, you know, you just you're very troubled by an inter- like a like uh, the facts of faith in some particular way, and you can never get your head straight around it. No one's ever given you a satisfactory answer, and it really troubles you because you're not sure really whether Jesus is good or who he, who he said he is, and that is the moment where you have to, um, you know, unquestion the question, whatever it might be. That there are always times in our lives where facing up to it and actually digging through the roof is the right thing to do. Rather than go round, it's the time to go through. So those are the three obstacles. That the man can't move, that the crowd is too dense, and there is a roof in the way. And the first one, what they do is they get their friends to help them. The second one, they go round, and the third one, they go through. And Luke gives us three options to getting closer to Jesus and to where the power of the Lord is present to heal. So, lastly, when the man and Jesus get together, the man gets so much more than he expected. So the man and Jesus get together, and he has his sins forgiven. Jesus looks at him and sees at depth what that man needs. He needs more than healing from his paralysis. He needs forgiveness of sins, and that is the heart of the human problem, that we need our sins forgiven. And, uh, and so he gets a two-stage healing. He gets his insides cleaned out, forgiveness, and then he gets his body um, healed so that he can stand up and walk. And Jesus turns the whole man's, the man's whole existence the right side up. And the last thing Jesus, uh, that Luke wants you to know is the contrast between the men and the paralyzed man, the men who carry the paralyzed man and the paralyzed man himself on the one hand, and all the f- scribes and the Pharisees and the great and the good and the, uh, on the other. That here are two attitudes, two internal attitudes, uh, one which is really commended and one which really isn't. And so the man and his friends, they have great faith, they make great effort, they have great confidence in Jesus. They have a lot of sheer cheek just uh, going up on someone's roof and pulling the roof up. They are very active in going after Jesus, and nothing that stands in the way is going to, in the end, is going to be a problem to them because they are going to get there, whatever it takes. 
And then on the other hand, you have the attitude of the Pharisees. They are sitting down rather than active. They are observing rather than um, taking part with faith. Uh, they are... They are listening and analyzing. They are uh, not, uh, and then they come to wrong conclusions. And so you've got these two things, and Luke says, look, here's the contrast. It's a very stark contrast. He says, be like these guys, and don't be like these guys, because Jesus commends them, and Jesus serves these guys' backsides on a plate, basically. You know, he, he has no time for that at all. So, this is, the, this is the faith that Jesus is commending. And in these days, we need a posture in order to make our way towards Jesus. We need an internal posture that doesn't have obstacles. That, because we're going to have obstacles enough following Jesus in our lives. We don't need internal ones. We need ones that have faith at the heart of who we are. And that we are determined that nothing will stop us getting close to Christ. So if you're stuck, I encourage you to ask your friends to carry you. If you have obstacles that you're facing, think about, do I go around this, park it, carry on plowing? Or do I, or do I think to myself, no, I'm going to face this and I'm going to go through it. But whatever it takes, we want Jesus. So should we stand for a few moments? So if you're new to us today, I just want to um, encourage you that this time that we do now, which is a prayer time, we do every time we meet. And it's because we know that Jesus is in the middle of us and he loves to do things deep within us that we cannot do for ourselves. And I just want to encourage you to be open to God because his spirit is with us. So maybe close your eyes. It just encourages you to focus and not be distracted. And if it helps you to put your hands out in front of you as a sign to God, a bit like we kneel when we pray sometimes, but you just say, Lord, here I am. And uh, I'm going to pray. Father, we pray that you would show us by your Holy Spirit anything that comes between us and you, any obstacle, any difficulty. So I just, um, in particular, I felt that there were people who, for whom, because they are a Christian, they get ridiculed from their family, wider family or closer family, I'm not sure, but that, co that causes you difficulty in your life with God in pursuing Jesus. And just for others, there are uh, those of you who um, 
have great fear or dread about something. For some, it's the fear of death. Jesus wants to help you know in the depths of your being that he has conquered death. And some of you are just, you know you're stuck and you need help, but you haven't yet asked someone. And today is a good day to begin that. So Father, send your Holy Spirit and come, instruct our hearts, show us your grace today, we pray. So just as the Lord says things to you and reveals things to you, I'm going to give the opportunity to get prayed for. Not really sure quite how to do this, but anyway, I just think um, those of you who know that there is something that you want to, you need the help of the Lord for whatever reason, I would suggest uh, you either turn turn to someone near you and just say, "Would you pray for me?" And that is a that's an act of extraordinary humility. You just you're just describing your need. You don't need to say what in particular, but just say, "I need more of God. I need more of God." Or um, uh, we have some prayer team. Guys, you want, if you're part of the prayer team, do you want to come and join Bob here? And um, these guys will pray for you. So if you like prayer, why not come and join them now? And we love to pray for people for anything. So... Just come and join them. If you're looking for prayer, if you are a prayer, why not put something around your neck? And if you aren't...
Yeah, I don't know if this is a specific thing, but I had a sense of one of those um, pestle and mortar things that someone felt they'd been they'd been trying to. Like John's saying, there's an obstacle and you've been grinding away at this thing, but it, well, it hasn't gone and you've given up. And in John's story there, you're still outside with the crowd. You, you realize you've basically given up, given up hope that you can get, get past this thing. So if there's something you know is still there and you're just kind of almost looking back and think, oh, no, you know, I did not get through or around that thing. I actually stayed outside. <laughs> Uh, then I think God's inviting you again to come again. Um, come and ask someone to pray for you today to, to sort of pursue a nearness to Jesus. Okay, so it's good just to keep coming. Keep coming for prayer. Or ask someone next to you to pray for you. Jenny's got a, a word here. Yeah, so just along um, similar lines, really, I just had a picture of um, uh, chains, and I just really feel like God's saying, saying that um, that He wants to kind of break break those chains. And for some of us, we feel like we're going round in circles. We keep trying to address the same issues, and I just really sense He wants to meet with us today and stop us keep cycling through the same issues. So if that's you. We'd love to pray for you. So God is at work amongst these guys, and if you want to get prayed for as well, it just mean, it means a turning towards someone else. This is when it's like you're, you're a person who can't move, who needs somebody to carry you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, so if you are, uh, you've had some training in prayer, do you just come and pray for people? That'd be really helpful. Thanks, man. So, Father, we just continue to wait on you. Ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us. 
Lord, that the power of the Lord be present to heal. Thank you, Lord. See, the Lord is at work all around the room. He's removing barriers and removing obstacles. His power is very great to change things. <laughs> 